appreciate all you Thanksgiving types for being out here today. We know that many people travel during these holidays. One thing I've always tried to do is to try to make it extra special for those who are here. If I can do that. That says a lot, doesn't it? It's kind of maybe a little bit over the top there, but uh, there is a, I think we got a good day today. We got some stuff here for you guys. Uh, uh, before I go on uh, the announcements, uh, I assume that there's no service tonight. Yeah. So, uh, how about that for a gift? That's the way we do things around here. No church. <laughs> We're the church of no church. You gonna still have your Bible study? Okay, y'all, y'all deal with that later. You figure it out. <laughs> Not right now. Okay. And, uh, the, as, as the other announcement is, is that next, uh, in two weeks, we will have our, uh, Christmas presentation thing. You know, with the flags and the kids and all that good stuff. It's always really wonderful. So that's in two weeks. Uh, that same Sunday night, we'll have our Christmas party. And then the following Sunday is Christmas. Yes. Saturday is delayed. Thank you. I keep, yeah, and so, and the Saturday after that is the men's breakfast. So, you know, there's a few little things that we have coming and still doing. But, uh, we're into the holidays, which is, uh, challenging times if you want to be a church. So, but we're used to it. We've done it forever. Okay, today, uh, we're kind of rushing along. I know that, but uh, there's good reasons for it. Um, the Old Testament, is full of life examples. There's all, there's all kinds of stories in the Old Testament. There's one good reason for you guys to read it. Because all those stories in there, they're real life examples. I mean, they actually happen. But according to uh, Paul in the, in the book of Corinthians, they were all written down for us. They were written down for our sake, on whom the ends of the age or the world have now come. So... For you guys, especially as we get closer into the tooth of the very end, all those stories have meaning to you. They're showing you something that people lived out in the natural realm so that you can apply it to the spiritual realm. Okay? That's why they're there. One of the greatest stories in the Old Testament, and it's a thematic story, is the story of the promised land. That whole story, you know, leaving Egypt, the place of your captivity before you came to Jesus, and then going through a period of wilderness where you don't know, hey, what's going on around here? It's hard to go from not Christian to Christian and stay Christian for a while. It really is. You got the parable of the sower that kind of kicks in and people kind of lose their way and some of them fall in the wilderness. But there's a period of time in the wilderness where you're, you're not yet to where you want to be the promised land and where God wants you to be. And in the promised land, you learned to overcome. Okay, that's what the promised land is all about, is you entering into the thing that God has called for you and in your life and overcome the enemies that are there. And there are a bunch of them. And they're greater than you. You've got, you got to have God to do it. You find, you're going to find, you younger guys, as you live life, if God don't show up, you're dead where you stand. That's the truth. Life is bigger than us. But God is bigger than life. 
So you learn to say it's true. Our hope for glory is Christ in us. So there's the, there's the big story is the whole leave Egypt wilderness and into the promised land motif, as we say. So I feel like, uh, we've been living, uh, like that as well in this church. And, uh, the, uh, Especially as we've, as we've entered into, uh, this last couple of years. We're entering into. So it's the promised land. I'll talk to you a little bit about the promised land today. Look over with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 12. There's a term for it in the New Testament. It's called the kingdom of God. Alright, so in the, in the New Testament, the promised land is the kingdom of God. And one place it says the kingdom of God is in you. So the things that God wants to do is in you. Jesus gives us a picture and a point to be made about taking our promised land. Overcoming in the kingdom of God. And then we'll just pick it up. We'll miss a lot of these verses here. But pick it up, verse 29. It says, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. And it, I mean, he's referring to all the stuff above it, which is the caption of verse 22 is do not worry. So don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Everybody worries about that stuff, but it's not supposed to be that way for God's kids. He takes care of business for us. So it says don't, don't seek what you should eat or wear or drink. Verse 30, for all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need these things. Verse 31 is the key. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you believe that? So that's kind of a key point here. Do you believe that it is Father's pleasure? We're not jerking it out of his hands. He wants to give you the best. He does. He's in his heart. I mean, most of you are parents. Do you really want nothing but crumbs and rags for your kids? Is that what you want? If it is, then so he said, yes. Okay. <laughs> Pardon. <laughs> well, you talk to your daddy, you know. <laughs> we'll talk to your daddy for you. Now, the father's and a parent's pleasure is to do good for their kids. Now, I know there's discipline and all these other things that go along with that. I'm not, you know, degrading that at all. But the whole point is to raise them up so they can succeed in life. That's what we want to do. And it's what God wants to do. It's his good pleasure. You know, it took me decades, literally, for that to enter into my heart. That he really did want the best for me. It wasn't a problem for him to give it to me. In fact, he began to rebuke me. He said, you don't have, you have not because you ask not. You won't even ask me for the good stuff. Did you know that was the knock? You know the two sons, the prodigal son? Y'all know this prodigal son story, right? Everybody loves that story. He goes off and blows his, his income on riotous living like most of y'all did. He said, he finally finds out it was better in my father's house. I go back and just live in the barn with the, with the servants. And they do a party for him. Instead, and welcomed him back. Well, the other son, the one that stayed the whole time, copped an attitude. Said, "Hey, man, you didn't throw a party for me. You know, I've been here all this time. You didn't do anything for me." And the father said, "Son, 
Everything I've ever had was here for you. You just didn't ask. And that was me. I wouldn't ask. He changed all that. It took the years. And for some of you, you know, it's still ahead of you. But know the truth. It is the Father's pleasure, good pleasure, to give you his kingdom, to give you your promised land. That's what he wants. That's what he ordained for you. Uh, now, we can go too far with that idea, give you the kingdom, just say, well, we'll sock it to me. And it's more than that. You have a part to play. Turn to Hebrews 11 real quick. Turn to Hebrews 11. Here's your part to play in gaining your promised land, the kingdom of God. Hebrews 11, verse 1. And it starts off with the thing that you need. Now faith. This is the thing that you must have. You must exercise faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. My promised land. And it's the evidence of things not seen. Don't see it yet. But there are a time, folks, where you will see it. You will see it. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. We are called to be the witnesses of, God, of Jesus in this day. Especially as we close in on the end of things. We are called to be his witnesses. Well, how do you obtain that witnessing place? By faith. You can't. Have no faith. That was a double negative. You must have faith. All right. Verse six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. You've got to be able to have faith and exercise your faith with works in order to please God. So if you want to walk in your kingdom, uh, your promised land, you must have faith. Verse six, it is impossible to please him without it for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is God. And, and you really need to underline this next part, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you believe that God will reward your seeking him? Or do you think you're supposed to live in the slums of life? Just barely making it. I'm called to nothing. I'm called to poverty. Seriously, folks, very, very few people have that calling. Is that what you want for your kids? Now, I know on the flip side of it that the pursuit of riches leads to many hurtful things. It's the root of many, many. Some scriptures say all evils. So I'm not saying, oh, let's go run it after money. But you must understand it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom with the right attitude. Can you get the right attitude? you got to walk by faith. And you have to believe that he will reward you. Again, that was me. Oh, he will never reward me. I'm not good enough. Or something. Many people have that attitude. you got to get rid of that attitude to walk in the kingdom of God. It's not true for you to live that way. All right. A couple other things about the faith to receive these promised, the promised land. Faith. There's a few more things here to go with it. Look over in chapter 6 of the same book. Chapter 6. Now, I believe... What the truth is the truth. God promises and then God delivers. Alright? Uh, right before this church entered into what I believe was entering into their promised land, which was in Lake City 2017, so two years ago. Right before that, a little bit before that, I was struggling 
Because I had just, you know, I lost my wife. Now, hang with me. And prophetically, he had promised me another one so that I could finish my course. That was the only reason, but it was a good one. I don't want to go into the rest of them. Oh, maybe I should. <laughs> no, I won't. Keep it clean. It's church. Uh, so, I mean, you don't promise uh, a widow, hey, there's another one coming, without him getting a little anxious. Would you agree? Some of you would. Some of you is so far past you, you don't understand anymore. I wasn't. Well, come on. Do it. Bring her. I'm tired of this slow process. And God, I was really gritching one day about this. And God spoke as clearly as I've ever heard him. He said this, son, you have to have patience in order for me to use you in the next season. And knowing the King James, I'm a King James kind of guy back in the day. I knew there were two words in the King James for patience. I said, well, which one? Pharisee and lawyer that I am, <laughs> you know. Well, who is my neighbor? You know, so he said, both of them. Well, thanks. Gotta have patience. So if I'm going to enter into the promised land, you gotta have patience. I'll give you why. Here's two scriptures. Both versions of patience. Chapter six of Hebrews, verse 11. We desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. There's a process here. You be diligent throughout the process. Verse 12, that you do not become sluggish or lazy, but imitate those who through faith, said you need that, and patience, inherit the promises. So if I want the promises... I have to have faith and patience. And that's the first level of patience. Now, that particular level of patience has to do with how I deal with people. You know, in other words, I do not take my revenge in a nutshell. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to put up with their stuff. I'm going to do what's necessary. Short of striking them dead. He don't need you to make them dead. So you just put up with even persecution. You put up with it. You've got to have that. People are involved in your process. You can't get away from that. And you enter into a place called airship. You are an heir now to the promise. Does that mean you got it yet? No. You're in the will. Okay? You can't inherit the promise. But let me tell you about a guy who was also in the, in the will. His name was Esau. Guess what happened to Esau? He lost his heirship because he gave it away to serve his flesh. Amen? So you're in the right place, but you ain't there yet. The next one. The next is chapter 10. Same book. And it's the other word for patience. Verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of other patience, endurance, 
So that, you got to underline this, verse 36. So that after you have done the will of God, big phrase. After you have done the will of God. Doesn't that imply time spent, effort given, overcoming my will? Not my will, yours to be done. A conflict of wills even. After you have done the will of God, you may receive what's been promised. So I have patience on the ones I have dealing with the people that I have to walk with. So I can get into the inheritance will. And then I have to walk with him and do his will and endure, put up with circumstances and issues of life and, and bad things that happen. They don't go my way. Wives die. Lose jobs. Put up with bad things that come in life. Sick kids. And on and on. Your own health. Pass the three tests of relationships, finances, and health. Do the will of God and all that. Endure it. Then you can receive the promise. I go from the will to the reward. Amen? Y'all got it? So that's your part. You play that part. Now there's one more scripture that I think that sort of sums up the whole process. It's over in Micah in the Old Testament. Look over at Micah chapter 6. Micah 6. This really speaks to doing the will of God. And let me tell you something about that. A necessary part of that is warfare. Have any of you lately seen warfare? Anybody? Everybody? Warfare. How many battles, Steve, before you enter the promised land? Just two. How many after you enter the promised land? Thirty freaking nine. Count them. Let's do some math here. It takes, it took them seven years to take the promised land. So somebody do the math. Into 39. Seven years into 39. That's about six battles a year. Am I right? Or am I wrong? I don't sound right. Whatever it is, it's a whole bunch. It's like one is this now anything. God bless her. Here comes another. No rest for the wicked. And especially for the righteous. So while you are in that process of taking your promised land, receiving what has been promised, don't think it's a a piece of cake and balloons and what you, I mean, all wonderful times. You're not in heaven. You're in the promised land. You're taking the kingdom of God by force. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. You've got to fight. Amen. Golly. And these, these battles are just doozies. It's like being Texas Tech. 
Seven. Okay. Micah six. Uh, actually, it's Micah seven. I got that down wrong. Micah seven, the first several verses, is actually a scripture that Jesus quotes when he is describing in Matthew 10 what his disciples should expect as he sends them out. And that's what he's doing right now. To take our promised land, to be his witnesses, when you are being sent out by Jesus, he quotes Micah 7 to say, this is the process of it. I'll let you read it. Verse 5 says, don't trust in a friend. Don't put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Does that sound like fun? It's a part of the kingdom of God. Taking. Jesus put it this way. Who is my mother, my father, my sister, my brother? Who are my family? They were all standing outside the door when he said this. Mary was out there, his brothers and his sisters. And he says, who are my brothers, my sisters, and all? Who is my family? Those who do the will of God. Did we just read about doing the will of God? So when you get down to it time, you're going to find out who your family really is. The kingdom of God is not naturally born. It is spiritually born. And even that takes a process of fire to see if you'll do it. The will of God ain't easy, folks. It comes in direct conflict to your will. You better underline that in your brain. It ain't my will that I want to get here. But I will give you a little hint. His will is better. But you have to fight and die to yourself before you figure that out. And the process is hard. But you get a reward that's unbelievable. Okay? So Jesus quotes this. And then look at verse 7. With all this jazz going on. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I will wait. Ooh, what a word that is. The word wait. It means to wait, to hope, to trust, to have patience. Haven't we talked about all those words pretty much? Faith, patience, confidence, hope. Remain in anticipation. In other words, I'm not giving up. Despite what goes on, I am standing. Amen. Amen. And I'm raising my hands. And I'm worshiping God. In spite of all that stuff that's going on. This is your trial. It's also your deliverance. It also means to expect his work. Expect his reward. And, and here's the last part of it that matters as much as any of it. Don't take matters into your own hands. Woohoo! All you control freaks? If we had an altar, I'd say put it on there. We'd have an altar from here to Odessa to put it all on there, wouldn't we? So, don't take control. God, that's hard. One of the hardest things I've learned in my life with God 
is when he promises me something and you begin to see it take place, the hardest thing to do is to wait. These are the sons of God. Those who follow the Spirit. And you know, folks, if the Spirit ain't making a step, that means that you stand right where you are. If he makes two steps, you take two steps. If he takes half a step, half a step. It's the hardest thing to learn. But you need to know it. Especially as we go forward. When he says move, you move. Wait. Okay? There's an interesting thing here. Uh, in September, is when all the, 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 the fall festivals take place, including Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, all those fall festivals. And so at that time, we enter into what I would call the, the spiritual new year. So we entered into the year 20, 2020. Guess what the number 20 represents? Waiting. Waiting. Isn't that amazing? It means a complete, perfect waiting period. Complete and perfect waiting period. It's represented by this Hebrew letter called Kaf, which represents the number 20. Kaf is an open hand. If the palm is up, it signals freely giving to you. Here's your gift. If the palm is down, it's not bad news. I'm covering your sin. So whichever way it is, you're in a good place. It's covering your problems and giving to you what he, what he promised to you. It is also the number of redemption or ransoming you. He's purchasing you. There's a scripture they refer you to. Uh, it's over in Exodus 38. Turn there real fast. Exodus 38. There is a medal that is also represented by the number 20 or redemption. And that medal is silver. Silver. The number of redemption. And they refer you to Exodus 38. Look at verse 25, I believe. Yes, 25. This is ordinance is given in the wilderness. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. Now, they ended up blowing it, but, you know, they were still getting prepared for it. Verse 25 says, The silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A beka for each man, that is half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above. 20. There were 603,550 men. So that there... 603,550 men was the number of men that were over 20 years old, the number 20. And they were the ones that were assigned to cross over into the promised land. All right. And they gathered all these shekels of silver, about 3.7 tons. That's a lot of silver. And what it did is it represented about 
$3,000 per male. Okay? That much money. And so it was literally given to build Moses' tabernacle. Where did they get it? Y'all remember when they left Egypt? They spoiled the Egyptians. Moses was told, when, when you, when y'all leave, let every man and every woman go and, and tell the people in Egypt, give me what you got. And after ten of those, uh, plagues, they freely gave. And so they had all the wealth of Egypt carrying it out on these I'm sure they had donkeys and stuff to carry out all that wealth. Because they had 3.7 tons of, of silver. They went from living in Egypt to having 3.7 tons of, of silver a few days later. So they spoiled it. They spoiled Egypt to build the sanctuary of Moses. All right? Now, it was also used to service that sanctuary. Turn over to chapter, uh, say next to this, chapter uh, 30. Verse 14, everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above, the number 20 again, shall give an offering to the Lord. That's called a tamura. There's five types of offering. That's one of them. The, now look at verse 15. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you make an offering to the Lord to make atonement for your sins, there's the word atonement, redemption, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel. What does that mean? That means that someone's got to pay for the lights and the maintenance and the repair to a temple. And everybody paid it. Same amount. Because why? We all have the same issues. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, you have the same issues. You need a bathroom. You need lights on. And it's about $3,000 per male per year. Is that New Testament as well? Well, Jesus did it. They came up and asked him, does your master pay tabernacle tax? He said, yes. Go down there into the river, grab this fish, and there'll be two coins in there. One for me and one for you, Peter. And he paid the tax. They were probably half shekels of silver. Okay? Then I wake anybody up. Everybody should pay the same thing when it comes to that. By the way, it is not your tithe. That's in addition to your tithe. And in Malachi 3, it talked about people robbing God of tithes and tamuras, this silver offering for the, te- the service of the tabernacle. I will say this about this, this church. We have not robbed God as a group. Now, some of you probably haven't got up to that level yet. You ought to think about it. But you have a building today because of people who would not rob God. Now, they also use it to build the tabernacle. Let's go to chapter 25. Chapter 25, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering, a tamura, the same thing, from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, bronze, and on and on it goes. Verse 8. And let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So, in, in the building of the sanctuary, 
There was no limit. You could give more than 3,000. You could give as much as you wanted to. Now, well, the funny thing about that is that David took that to heart, and when it was time to build Solomon's temple, he had, I don't know, several billion dollars that he wanted to give by himself to build the temple. And God says, no, no, no. You stop. Because you're going to rob these people of their blessing. Let them give the offerings, and you can throw in at the end. They said, oh, all those fights I had and whooped all those nations, I was just going to throw it all and make it easy on everybody. He said, no, 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 no. You don't make it easy on everybody. You're making it bad when you do that. All right? Are you all with me? So they, they took the same thing, but this time it's from the, those who want to. If it's in your heart, if it's in your heart to build God a place to live, he would take that same thing and build it. But then when it came time to service it, everybody had the same issue. Amen? Y'all with me? So what does that all mean to us? Well, it means Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. At some point, all of this was to prepare them to enter into the kingdom of God. All right? Into the promised land. And they had, they needed God to go with them. Because without God, they were dead. They're going to lose. So they had to have a tabernacle, uh, this boat, Moses' tabernacle or his tent. And then when they got there, they built him a place, the temple of God. And they did the same thing every time, temple. They built it with money from the outside. But look at Deuteronomy 6. This is what Moses is telling them just before they're about to enter in. This is the second generation. Chapter 6, verse 10. It shall be that when your, the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you. Look at what he says he's going to give you when you get into the promised land. Large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware unless you forget the Lord. So when you go into the promised land, you're going to find all this stuff that's ready for use. And you had nothing to do with any of it. Isn't that interesting? The children are free. 